My name is Elizabeth Hughes, and I work on staff with the Summit Church. I'm the women's director for Summit College, um, which basically means I just do all sorts of things. Um, and so I am super excited to be talking to you guys about conflict today. Um, and you are the brave ones. So um, there are many people who I think should be in this room as well, um, but they are maybe not ready to face their conflict, but you guys are. So I'm super excited for that. So I'm just going to pray for our time because if there is anything today that the Lord has reminded me of, it is that apart from him, I can do nothing. Um, so I'm just going to pray and ask him for help um, and to bless our time. And then we are going to dive in. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you, God, just for this time um, to get to talk uh, with these brothers and sisters about conflict. I believe that this is something that you care about um, and that this is something that you have given us much instruction in your word about. So God, I pray today that we will all come with humble hearts, ready to listen and hear from you, believing that you can meet us here, that you can bring healing, that you can um, reveal to us um, sin in our hearts, God, that you can give us freedom and that you truly do want reconciliation for the conflict in our lives. Um, so God, would you help me? May I decrease and may you increase because God, I pray um, today that what I do more than anything else is point to you. God, would you help me in this time? Would you use me, God, and may it be for your glory alone. Amen. All right. So conflict is a big topic, right? You can have many different kinds of conflict. So I was just thinking about a couple situations that maybe you could find yourself in at some point or another. Um, so one would be you have a roommate that often leaves the dishes in the sink for a few days. I will say the dishes might be the biggest point of contention in um, most rooming situations. Uh, but your roommate leaves the dishes in the sink for a few days. And um, every night you walk into the kitchen stewing with anger at the mess that they've left. Or maybe um, you had two friends. They were your best friends from high school. There were three of you and you guys were so close. Uh, but the two of them went off to college together and you found yourself at another school feeling left out and alone as you looked on social media that they were growing closer and closer and you felt more and more on the outside. Or maybe you find yourself in the middle of your parents' divorce, constantly feeling like you are being pressured to choose a side and the holidays bring more stress than they do joy. Maybe a guy and a girl date, they break up, and yet they find themselves in the same friend group, now having to navigate the awkwardness of a breakup. Maybe um, your friend is chosen for a leadership role over you and you find yourself hurt that they have more opportunities than you to develop and it feels like every time they bring it up, they're just trying to rub it in your face. Maybe you're leading a Bible study with someone else and you guys just can't agree on how you should structure your time. Or maybe uh, a person, you have a person who has authority in your life and they should have been trustworthy, but at some point they misuse their power and they hurt you. And now bitterness and unforgiveness are wasting away in your soul. Or maybe a guy in your family group can come across very harsh and abrasive. And when anyone disagrees with him, they usually end up being hurt. But instead of going to talk to him, people keep coming to you. And you're trying to figure out what to do with that. So conflict can take many, many different forms. Um, it could be with a family member, friends, people in church. Um, so I would just like for you for one second to turn to the person next to you. We're going to do a couple interactive things because it's after lunch. We're all a little sleepy after we eat some Chick-fil-A. 
Um, So turn to your neighbor and I want you to just tell them a couple words that you think of when you hear the word conflict. All right. Now let's get a couple people just shout out your words. Just tell me some words that come to mind when you think of conflict. Political divide. Okay, we're going there. Yep. (laughs) That's real. Withdrawal. Okay. That's a good one. Miscommunication. Yep. Frustration. Mm -hmm. Bitterness. Tension. Mm -hmm. Give me two more. Ignorance. Mistrust. Yeah. So there are many things that come with conflict, right? Many emotions, really painful things. And so today we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about how our flesh often wants to respond in conflict with things like bitterness and anger. And then we're also going to talk about how God can actually work in us and lead us to respond in a way that honors him and honors the other person. But I have to tell you that if you are going to be in relationships with people, and I would actually argue if you are going to be in healthy relationships with people, conflict is inevitable and you've got to learn how to deal with it. You can't avoid it. And this is not just a non-believer thing. This is in the church. Like we have got to be good at dealing with conflict. And so my goal today more than anything else is to convince you that conflict is a way to glorify God, to serve others and to become more like Christ. Therefore, it is worth entering into. If it has all those things can be a part of conflict, then we want to enter into it. And the gospel really does change every area of our lives. And so it does uh, change even how we deal with conflict. And it started when Adam and Eve first started, right? It was in the beginning was when the first conflict ever existed. Um, So you have Genesis 1 through 3. We have the creation story. We see uh, man and woman are in perfect relationship with each other, right? They're loving each other and they're married and they are used together to serve God and to image him. And they have a perfect relationship with God. But then we see in Genesis 3, as soon as they decide to disobey God and believe that there is something better for them outside of him and his wisdom is when sin enters the world. And so we know that sin destroys our relationship with God, right? That's why Jesus had to come. He had to come and pay for our sin so that we could be back in right relationship with God. But sin also destroys our relationship with each other. It brings greed and lust and pride and bitterness and all the things in our hearts that if only they could say just impacting us, but they don't, right? It impacts our relationships with each other and then also our relationship uh, with God. And so the Bible uh, lines up many different reasons of why conflict could exist, but um, I narrowed it down to four Uh, And so according to the Bible, these are four of the main reasons why we have conflict with each other. So poor communication. Someone actually said miscommunication was a source of conflict. And you're right. Poor communication. We're just not perfect with our words, right? Sometimes we speak too quickly. Sometimes we don't speak up when God is leading us to. Sometimes we just genuinely do not understand each other. And so poor communication can be one thing that leads to conflict. Next, we can have competition over limited resources and particularly time or money. Um, I don't know if you have any relatives that um, once a, you know, grandparent or someone dies, there becomes lots of conflict between the siblings over money. Like money and time can really cause a lot of division. 
So that's another reason. Uh, the next reason why there is conflict, um, if you didn't have never fallen into one of those, is maybe you have differences with people. You could have differences in values, goals, gifts, callings, priorities, expectations, interests, or opinions. So basically, any difference you could have with someone <laughs> could cause conflict. And then lastly, if you didn't, you never fall into any of those categories, we all have sinful hearts that turn into sinful actions and words. And James tells us this in James 4, 1 through 2. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you, is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So James is saying these desires that we have because of sin and because of the fallen nature that we now exist as humans, it actually plays out that we want what other people have and these passions are at war inside of us. And again, they don't stay inside of us just impacting us. They begin affecting those around us and sometimes they can even become our enemies with these desires. So where there are sinners... <laughs> There is going to be conflict, but conflict isn't always bad. And I think we really need to reframe it. I think uh, someone says conflict and you immediately, most of your words were negative. Actually, I think almost all of them. No one said um, a really positive word, word about conflict, but I would say conflict can actually be neutral and it can have a positive impact or a negative impact. And God invites us into this. He invites us into stepping into really hard and messy situations and conflict for our own good, for the good of our brother's sister, and for the glory of God. However, uh, it is really hard. So just heads up, conflict's hard. And it's also very counterintuitive to your flesh. Most of us don't respond godly the first time we're in conflict um, because these passions are at war within us. And so our reactions oftentimes are very fleshly and not honoring to God. And I feel like over the years, um, honestly, I said I do a lot of things in Summit College. I would say one of them is I help with conflict management. Um, it's not on my job title. But truly, I mean, over almost the past 10 years of doing ministry, I feel like a lot of what I'm doing is helping people talk through their conflict. Um, and I've noticed um, that a lot of people just are not taught good conflict skills in general. Like, just on a surface level, a lot of them do not know good conflict skills. Then take that a step further. Most people are not taught biblical conflict resolution skills. Um, most of us learn how to deal with conflict in the family that we grew up in. So whether you liked how your family modeled conflict and you copied it, or you didn't like it and you tried to do the opposite, uh, you most likely have some ways to resolve conflict that go back uh, to the family that you grew up in. And so most people fall into one of two extremes and obviously we wanna find the good Jesus center. Um, but two of those extremes, we have basically like the fight or flight model. So. Uh, we'll call these, the flight side is escape responses. Um, so maybe you are someone who tends towards avoidance, the silent treatment, you cut people off. At all costs, you are not entering into conflict. So you are an avoider at the most. Um, and people who have escape responses are often interested in avoiding conflict more than resolving it. You're like, it's fine if it's unresolved. I just don't want to be 
involved in it. And this generally focuses on you. Um, if you kind of boil it down, it focuses on self-preservation and what is comfortable to you. That is what is helping you make a decision of if you want to be involved in conflict and it's uncomfortable. So you say, I'm not doing it. So those are people who have escape responses on the flight side. Then we have the attack responses, which is more of the fight side. So think of more um, expressive emotions, anger, yelling, um, attacking other people. Um, and this is when you are interested in winning conflict over preserving relationships. So your goal is to win and you are coming for blood. And this generally focuses on the other person and how they screwed up. So instead of you being the center, they are the center, but not in a good way. They are the center because they are the problem and you are attacking them. Um, and so in my household, so I grew up um, in... My family's not believers, um, and how we dealt with conflict um, was, I mean, we just didn't really talk about it. So if people say like, oh, did you grow up in a home with conflict? It's like, well, no, but we didn't interact enough about it to even have healthy conflict. And so we definitely swept it under the rug. Um, I withdrew from it. I thought I always had to be happy and felt like, okay, if there is conflict, there's something wrong with me. And I need to go by myself and figure it out because it's my responsibility to get over it and not be dramatic. Um, and so that was what I saw all growing up. So I get to college and I have roommates and I have friends and I'm a sinner, they're sinners. So there's conflict. And I realized, oh, what I was taught growing up, even though it wasn't intentional, my parents weren't like, okay, Elizabeth, when you have conflict, don't talk about it, sweep it under the rug, deal with it on your own, get the heck out. They didn't teach me that. But because it was never modeled well, um, that's kind of what I picked up. And so in college, God began to unravel a lot of habits and ways that I dealt with things that just did not line up with his word. And I mean, that's true of all of us as we are maturing in Christ is that we are getting changed by the spirit and you're realizing that you have to put off your old self and put on the new self. And so conflict was a huge thing that God began to teach me um, in college. And so I want you to turn back to that same neighbor and I want you to tell them if you are an escape response, so you're more on the flight side, or if you are on the attack response fight side, and then we're going to see what we have um, more of in this room. So go ahead and talk with them for a minute. Okay. Hopefully you got to share that. So by show of hands, who is on the escape responses? You're like avoiding conflict hardcore. It's okay. This is a safe room. Okay. And how about the other half? Who is the attack responses? Okay, we actually have a pretty good mix in here. Um, how many of you think some of that relates to your family? Can you, okay, oh, everyone, whoa, okay, or most people. Um, yeah, so what I want to move us through now, um, it, before we get right into the flesh part of how we respond, we're gonna do the bad and then we'll do the good. Um, but the spirit actually can help us respond opposite of our flesh. That's what Josh was talking about today from Romans 8, right? We know that the flesh and the spirit are at war with each other. And this is a daily thing. This isn't just like before you become a Christian or like one time when you have a bad season. This is like a daily thing as a believer. The spirit and the flesh are at war with each other. Um, and Galatians actually says this as well. So I just want to read that to you. So Galatians 5, 16 through 24 says... But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. 
For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So I want to look really briefly at the uh, list about the flesh. Um, Okay, so there is definitely a lot of stuff, kind of like the first half. Um, You know, you have sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, um, anonymity, or sorcery. So maybe next year we'll do a breakout on sorcery. So that'll be interesting. Um, (laughs) But then... There are nine things I think I counted the other day that are based on things with other people. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. And dissensions, divisions, strife, those are all kind of getting at the same thing, right? A work of the flesh is when you cannot have peace with other people. That is you choosing to let the flesh take over instead of the spirit. And so Paul here is instructing that the fruit of the spirit is a work of the spirit in us, but we have to put to death um, the flesh. And so we're going to dive into a couple of those things um, of what that could look like. So how the flesh often wants to respond in conflict. Number one is pride. So pride is the quality of having an excessively high opinion of oneself or one's importance. So you think you are better Um, than others, and you have a really high opinion of yourself. And pride can look lots of many different ways in our lives, but how it plays out in conflict, I think, is it blinds you to your own sin and your own role in conflict. You are quick to point to someone else, and you are slow uh, to look at what's going on in your your own heart, and you're blaming others. And it can also quickly turn into judgment. And Jesus teaches this. He says, this is like kind of insane what he says about judging. He says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So even when we're making those little judgments in our head about other people that often pride leads us to, Jesus is saying what you judge others with, that is how you are going to be judged too. Um, And so we want to know that our flesh really quickly can go there, can go to blaming them. You know, if they were more mature, if they didn't, you know, I was going to say flip off their tongue, but I was like, that's not what I mean. You know, be flippant with their words. That's what I mean. Um, I was like, flip off their tongue. That's not a saying, Um, but maybe it can be after this. Um, You know, maybe they're flippant with their words. You are just pointing the finger at them and you're not looking at yourself. So pride is a way that our flesh really wants to respond. And Satan loves this because you're looking at others and not yourself first. Um, The next one uh, is avoidance. So we kind of talked about that for a second in the escape responses. But we would rather sweep something under the rug and pretend that it doesn't bother us. Or we'd rather distract ourselves from it or just cut off another person altogether. 
I think that one of the worst things happening right now in our culture that has started on social media, but I think now we just have language for, for what actually happens in real life is cancel culture. We are so quick when someone makes one mistake. I mean, and I know that there are horrible things. And so there is like repercussions and consequences. But I think in relationships, when like a roommate bothers us, I mean, so many times I've had people say like, well, we just don't have to be friends. You don't have to be friends with everyone. Like, okay, yes. But right there, you are saying, I don't want to reconcile with them. Like you are making that decision. Um, And so... I think even our avoidance can lead to even deeper things that we do not want to go and reconcile to others. Um, and we want to cancel, cancel them. We want to do that more than pursue a relationship with them. Um, I think too, uh, with um, avoidance, it sometimes I feel like what can be harder, I don't know if this is true for you. I feel like sometimes it's easier to go and confront someone in sin than it is to tell them that they hurt me. Like I could be like, okay, hey, you were doing this and um, I think that was wrong. But it's way harder to just be like, hey, when you did that, it hurt my feelings. And I feel like I don't know how to act around you now or I I feel uncomfortable when we talk about this topic. Um, And so I think we just don't sometimes want to be vulnerable and weak. And so that's another reason why we avoid conflict is because we don't want to let people know that they've hurt us. And we don't want to enter into that. We don't want to let them know Um, And we don't want to enter into the process of God even healing that. Um, And so at the core, though, ultimately of avoidance, I think uh, is comfort and valuing ourselves over others. We want to stay in a life that is pretty easy um, and is going the way that we want. And we just want to refuse um, to let someone enter in to our mess and and just to, we, we value ourselves over them. We want to really put our comfort before even their holiness sometimes. Um, And I've had to ask myself this question a lot, even in conflict. I'm like, would I rather someone like me or would I rather them become more like Jesus? And I hate to say it, but a lot of times I would rather them like me. And so I choose to either not press in on something or I choose to not bring something up that hurt me because I don't want them to change their opinion of me. And again, at the core, that is me valuing myself over them. Okay, the next way that I think our flesh responds in conflict is that we use our tongue as a weapon. So James says this. If you want to just feel like you have a messy life, go read James. It's awesome. Um, But James has some amazing words about this tongue. He says, It is a restless evil full of deadly poison, and with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. So there James is pointing out the danger of the tongue, that our words really matter and that we can do a lot of damage with them and that we can be really two-faced, that we praise God with our tongues in worship. And then when we leave, we talk bad about someone. And James is saying here that does not please God. And God uh, through Jesus and Luke even connects the heart and the tongue um, even closer. He says in Luke 6, he says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So there is nothing that you are saying that is just random. It is all coming out of your heart. And so Jesus is saying, if there is bitterness, 
if there is jealousy, if there is anger, there is no way you have the power to just keep it in your heart. It will come out of your mouth. Um, and we have to pay attention to that because that doesn't honor God and it doesn't honor our brother and sister. Uh, so two ways I think that uh, we really can be tempted to use our tongues um, to sin. One is gossip. So gossip is casual or idle talk that is done by sharing negative information about another person and finding joy in that. And it's not always false information. It's I used to think gossip was just like, oh, if it's a rumor. So I was like, oh, well, if it's like not really confirmed, then that's gossip. But if it's true, I'm just like filling someone in. It's like, no, I am casually talking about someone for the purpose of sharing information. Um, and a lot of times this actually is because it provides entertainment to us. It is fun to gossip. It makes us feel better about ourselves to make judgments on other people. We usually talk about people that we're jealous of or we're judging. Um, and so that stuff is coming out of our heart um, or yeah, out of our heart and into our words. Um, and it is done in a spirit of hurting rather than helping. Um, or sometimes we just have an excessive interest in the business of others. We just want to know things that truly are not ours to know. Like when a girl, uh, well, <laughs> this kind of happens a lot. Um, so uh, people who maybe they've talked to me multiple times, they, they change how they say things. But um, they'll come and be like, okay, well, I know uh, this girl in my D group is struggling with this. And it's just like really annoying and like hard for the rest of us. And I'm like, okay, like, let's talk about that. How do you know? She's like, oh, well, her roommate who's in another D group who overheard, uh, you know, the dining hall told me. So like, okay, so you now know information about someone that maybe is true. And maybe there is something in her life but you now know information that does not involve you and there is no need for you specifically to know it. And so I think even sometimes we can use gossip and kind of justify it as though we're just like trying to help people when really we need to be people who are helping one another uh, not talk about people behind their backs and wanting to honor God um, with our words. Um, and so gossip... At the end of the day, I think it breaks trust and creates division. Proverbs 16, 28 says this, a perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. So it doesn't sound like anything good comes from it. Um, and it, if you've ever been in a room with someone and you know maybe they are gossiping to you about someone else, and maybe this is just me, I feel this. If they gossip to me about someone else, I feel very hesitant to tell them anything about me because I'm like, you talked about this other person behind their back. Why now should I trust that you won't talk about me behind my back? And so it creates distrust. And then it truly does create division. It often creates issues between people who didn't have them before simply because they listen to us. And this does not unify the body. The next way our words can really uh, be damaging in conflict is through slander. So slander... Um, is making false statements about someone that either intentionally or unintentionally damages the reputation. So slander can come from hurt, jealousy, anger, bitterness, or hatred for another person. And we are satisfying our frustrations by destroying their character and reputation. We can intentionally paint their character in a bad light by spreading lies telling a narrative that doesn't give the benefit of the doubt, or even by just leaving out details that are favorable to them. You know that if you have been angry at someone, 
and you are talking about them, you are choosing what details you say. And the way that you often probably present them is in a way to get the person you're talking to to side with you. So this also, it's just hateful and it's, it really does hurt people. And we have to remember that our words have lasting effects on people's reputations and God brings grace and he redeems and he heals things, but we have the power to destroy someone's reputation. And so we really want to be people who build up and who love and who honor even people who are not with us. We want to honor them um, with our words. And so that is one way you can see if you're responding to conflict in the flesh, take note at what is coming out of your mouth because that probably connects to your heart. Okay, then last way we can handle conflict in a fleshly way is anger. And I put three specific things under this. We have bitterness, unforgiveness, and jealousy. So bitterness, um, as Anna had pointed out, um, is one thing that we can think of when we think of conflict. And bitterness is anger and disappointment at being treated unfairly. Um, Another word for bitterness is resentment. Um, So it's like, there's this old saying that it says, um, bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person will die. So what bitterness does more than anything is it destroys your heart because you are choosing not to forgive and not to move on. And it may start out with valid hurt. That's the thing with most of these is they're not just like, you're not probably just being like, nitpicky. There probably is some hurt there, but what our flesh does is it wants to get revenge or it wants to hold on to it or it wants to not forgive. Um, And so bitterness truly is like a weed, not the drug, but the plant, which actually is also a plant. Um, So I was thinking about this. So there was this sledding hill uh, by where I grew up. And oh my gosh, we love this hill because I'm from Northern Virginia and I have a little thing called snow pride. Um, It's a self-proclaimed label, but if you're from anywhere northern of North Carolina, you'll relate to me. So Snow Pride is basically where you think that um, you're better because you grew up in a place that can kind of handle snow. And so you look down. I know it's not a pretty thing. Uh, You look down on those in states such as the one that we're in now um, where they don't even have plows and they cancel things without anything even hitting the ground. But anyways, there was this uh, hill. And we would always go down there. It was super close. And we would go sledding. And it was so fun. Um, and over time, as I got older, and I didn't want to go sledding as much in high school, uh, the hill began to develop a little more plants there. Uh, I don't know who was supposed to be taking care of it. But it seemed like every year there would be a little more weeds. It started out with just like really one little tree in the middle of uh, this hill that it just felt like no one ever went and chopped it down. And over the years, now probably like 10 to 15 years later, like you don't even know there's a hill there. It is completely covered by trees and weeds and thorn bushes. And truly that is like a picture of bitterness is it starts really, really small, almost so small that you can distract from it. It's not really affecting that much. And so you just, you don't want to go there. You don't repent of it. You feel like you're, it's fine. But then over time, what bitterness does is it takes over your heart and it begins to grow in places that it wasn't there before. And now one situation that maybe was hard and you grew bitter in, it is now infusing all sorts of situations and relationships. And so what we have to do is cut the bitterness off at the root or it truly will take over your heart.
And so one of the ways uh, that we see bitterness and anger continue is in unforgiveness. So in Matthew 18, there is this amazing parable of the unforgiving servant. And so Matthew 18, there is this guy and uh, he owes this huge debt to his master. I mean, like think about like astronomical. He should be like working it off his whole life. And the master says, you know what? You're forgiven. You're done. You're free. Over. Um, And so he is excited. And then very shortly after someone else owed him something and he owed compared to what this guy owed the master, like chump change. Like think about like maybe the cost of like Frappuccino or something. Those can be expensive, but a small one Um, owed him like nothing. And this guy turned around and he was like, if you don't pay me, I'm going to kill you. And that, yeah, very intense. And that actually is a picture there for us of what we have been forgiven by God does not compare to what anyone has done against us. And so in that teaching, we are to learn there. Jesus is teaching that you do not have a right to not forgive. He's not saying that it's not hard, that it doesn't take years. And that honestly, forgiveness, I think in some things that have happened in our lives, actually is an active process. I used to think like one day I would just wake up and forgive and then I wouldn't have to deal with it anymore. But really there are certain situations that I just have to keep choosing when that anger or bitterness wells up to forgive again and again and again and again, because there are some things that are really, really hard and we're not your fault, like that were done to you or someone else's sin impacted you. But what Jesus is offering is forgiveness because at the end of the day, just like bitterness, who unforgiveness hurts more than anyone else is you. And it, it holds your heart and it just, oh, it just grows and stays there and it doesn't go anywhere. Um, and so we have to remember um, that we have no right to not forgive, um, but we can continue to look at how Jesus forgave us and let that help us to forgive those around us. Okay, the last way we see anger coming out in our flesh is jealousy. So jealousy is when you want what someone else has and you believe that you deserve it. Um, There's this very common phrase that this writer said uh, that I think really captures jealousy. He says, every time a friend succeeds, something inside me dies. So jealousy can be, I mean, so common just when someone else is doing well. You could have this little thought of like, man, I wish I had that. I feel like I should have gotten that praise or I should have gotten that role or I should have gotten that job. An example of this is um, if you've ever babysat or um, you have worked with kids or you once were a kid, hopefully that covers everyone in this room. Um, You maybe have this experience where you have this really cool toy and you're hanging out with another kid and you're playing with something else. And this other kid is playing with the toy that you want. So what do you do? You don't say, go ahead, play with it. You go over to that, go over to that kid and tug of war begins over this toy. Toy breaks. And who is more sad often about the toy breaking? The kid who was first playing with it, right? The other kid, he just didn't want that kid to play with it. And so that is a lot like jealousy, that jealousy, um, we, we are served by either possessing the item or we want to destroy it so that no one else can have it. So just like those kids playing, 
the kid who went and tried to take it, he just was happy that the other kid didn't have it anymore. And so jealousy can lead us um, to all sorts of dark places as well. So I want you to briefly talk back with your partner. Um, and I want you guys to talk about of those four fleshly reactions. So we have uh, pride, avoidance, using the tongue as a weapon, and anger. I think they're up there. Which one is easiest for you to fall into? So think of like, you're not really trying, but it's in your thoughts, your heart. That's kind of where you go to in conflict and talk about that for a second. Okay. You guys, if you really like your partner, you can keep talking about it after the session. Uh, but hopefully this is even, I just want you guys in this session, even as you go out after it, to be able to have some words to maybe what is going on in your heart. So definitely keep thinking through this. So now we're going to move on to the way that we handle conflict um, through the spirit in a way that honors God and honors people. All right. First thing I would tell you for anyone who is in conflict, you have got to start with your heart. So you got to first look at yourself before you go looking at anyone else. And um, this is actually what Jesus teaches. Um, so I just want to read this for you out of this little book. Also, if you want to um, just get slapped with oh, some conviction, uh, this is called a big book, a, a, oh, a small book about a big problem. It's on anger. It is amazing. Um, you can come look at it after. But this is what it says. So going back to that passage in Matthew about judging, um, we're going to connect the last few verses. So um, it says, uh, just to remind you, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Okay, so then the writer says, in other words, when you judge, use the same criteria with yourself as you do with others. And there is more. When Jesus speaks, you can expect a few twists and surprises. He reminds us that we are not very reliable in the way we judge ourselves. Somehow we manipulate the facts so that we are innocent and the other person is guilty. Or at least we are less guilty and they are more. I might interrupt my friend, but only to correct their misstatements because they always interrupt me. The truth is that we see someone else's offenses in high definition and our own through rose-colored glasses. To correct this, Jesus tells us to judge ourselves more rigorously than we judge others. And he says this, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Imagine it reserving our harsh, harshest judgment for ourselves. We submit to being judged before we judge. That doesn't mean that we begin every hard conversation with, I know I'm a miser miserable wretch. Instead, it means that we speak with respect. We speak for the good of the other person in our relationship with him or her, and we invite responses. We give up some of the confidence that we have in ourselves. And we speak in a way that those who overhear are attracted to us, rather than running for cover. Only then can we make wise judgments that are given with gentleness and humility. Only then will our brother let us do something as delicate as take a speck out of his eye. Can you imagine it? And I love that. I love how he expands on that verse that it really is with humility that we have to examine ourselves first. And again, like he's saying, that doesn't mean that you just own everything. You, it is helpful to no one for you to own things that aren't your fault. 
But you do want to start with your side because that will seep out into your conflict and it is going to really hinder you from being able to resolve it. So then you also want to confess and repent of your sin. So as you spend time with God, examining your own heart, hopefully he will be revealing some things to you um, that he wants you to repent of and confess and turn from. And so you want to take time to do that. And you also want to identify where you are hurt and how that is impacting the situation. Oftentimes we can respond really strongly in one situation where the response doesn't really, uh, like the response to the situation doesn't really match. We maybe respond stronger. And that's usually because there is past stuff that is undealt with or triggered or lies we're believing that are coming into play in this current conflict. And so if you don't do the work of figuring out what's going into your heart, you are going to be bringing all sorts of things in that actually don't even pertain to this, that you and the Lord just need to work through. And so you want to ask yourself, is this situation or person pressing on any idols? Is there any past hurt that this is bringing up? And what lies am I believing? Like, for example, in my own life, I was feeling like super, I wouldn't have called it jealous, but that's what it was. Um, I felt like someone else was just like getting all this praise and attention that I wanted. And they were kind of becoming friends with people that I was friends with. And I felt like really jealous and really upset that they were doing that. And so I was talking to a friend and seeking counsel of like, okay, what should I do? Because I feel like something's off, but I can't tell what it is. And she was like, you're being territorial because you feel like your idol of being like approved of and wanted is going to be taken away by her. I was like, oh yeah. So actually I don't really have issues with her. I actually really like her. The stuff that's going on is me. Like I need to work through that with the Lord. And so that was super helpful because if I hadn't identified that, I might've gone and tried to have a conversation with her or would have continued just growing bitter and angry when really it had nothing to do with her. It was with uh, stuff going on in my own heart. So the next way we want to handle conflict in a God-honoring way is we want to believe the best. Someone told me this question recently, and I thought this was amazing uh, to ask yourself, if I believed the best about this person, what would I believe? A lot of conflict is continued or handled poorly because we are creating a narrative that is not true. I cannot tell you how many times someone has come to me and been like, well, I'm not going to talk to them because I know how they're going to respond. Like, okay, how do you know how they're going to respond? Well, I just know they're not going to listen to me. Okay, have you ever talked to them about this? No. Okay, so then how do you know how they will respond? And so oftentimes we continue narratives that aren't believing the best about someone else and we are letting those dictate the ways we respond. And so you want to assume that everyone is going to respond godly. That's just a way to give them the benefit of the doubt. You want to assume that they will respond in a godly way. If they don't, you address it then. But you want to go in believing that they are going to be gracious and kind and loving um, if they're a believer and um, give them the benefit of the doubt. And and that is something that is way harder to do uh, than we realize. So the next thing you want to do uh, is you want to overlook an offense when you can. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. And so that means that overlooking an offense is actually a form of forgiveness, and it is a deliberate decision to let it go. So that means you're not going to talk about it, you're not going to dwell on it, and you're not going to let bitterness grow. So there are some things that truly you can just let go. Like you can just 
deal with it with the Lord and you're like, eh, I'm not mad at that the next day. I'm fine. I'm, you know, just trying to hold on to something. Um, but there are other times where they're too serious to overlook. And so I have a couple ways for you to just think through that. Um, so one is to ask, is this sin dishonoring to God? And so if a professing, professing Christian is acting in a way that will mo- will likely make others think less of God, his church, his word, then it may be necessary to talk to them and to urge them to change their behavior. So that would be a time when you wouldn't overlook it and you would have a conversation. Another time would be if it is damaging to your relationship, if your feelings, thoughts, actions, and words towards this person have been altered for more than a short period of time, then you should probably talk to them. And this will help bitterness from growing in you. So if it's damaging your relationship and you try to overlook it, but it's still there, um, then that could be a sign that you should talk to them. Another uh, thing that may be too hard to overlook and means you should have a conversation is, is it hurting others? So there may be some overt ways of harm, such as abuse or drunk driving. Those are like, definitely, you need to talk to them. Um, or it may even be something that where they are setting an example that leads other believers to act in a similar way that is sinful and think that's okay. And it can lead to division amongst believers and therefore it needs to be addressed. And the last thing um, that is we don't want to overlook is if they are hurting the offender. So is this hurting them? So Galatians 6, 1 says this, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted to. So is this sin hurting the person directly or impairing their relationship with God or others? As a believer and being a part of the family of God, part of our job is to look out for each other. We need to look out for how uh, one another is living daily and how we are walking with Christ. And this is a big responsibility, but this is part of being a part of a church and being a member there is that you have brothers and sisters who are helping you walk with God. And when you begin to stray, it is obedient for them to confront you and to call you back so that you may repent. Um, So that is about overlooking offenses. So the next thing we want to do in uh, dealing with conflict in a way that honors God and people is you want to plan your words. So just word of advice, do not engage when you are emotionally extreme. I know some conflict you can't plan. So sometimes in wisdom and self-control, you need to say, I am not in a good place to have this conversation And I am probably going to sin against you and against God if we continue. So can we come back to that? That is wisdom and that is honoring to God and to the person. So if you are just in a place, whether you're like really angry and you're afraid you're going to say things you don't mean, or you're really withdrawn and you just like can't engage, um, that may be a sign to you that you need to kind of pull away um, and think through what you want to say. So we want our words uh, to be gracious, clear, and constructive So I would advise writing it down and fleshing it out of what you want to say. Again, we heard that our words are super important. And so I don't think that you would regret spending time with God and thinking about what you want to say to someone um, in these conversations. And so write it down and sort through it. I use, um, I mean, there are so many passages I go back to um, in conflict. I look at 1 Corinthians 13 a lot. and Ephesians 4, 
um, about putting on the old self, putting on the new self. I mean, you can look at the fruit of the spirit, whatever it may be. Uh, there are lots of places to look at and even look at God's word. What does he say? And what, what does he want me to say? What does he want me to remind them of? Um, and we want to honor them with our words to their face and behind their back. Um, so we want to be people who honor um, God and his people with our words. Um, and then we also want to seek counsel. So as you're planning your words, there are a lot of times when I will seek uh, specific counsel to be like, hey, I have conflict and I need help. Um, and so my word of advice on that is pick people who love God really well, who love you really well, and are not afraid to tell you the hard thing and also do not have an issue with that person. You will probably not get good sober-minded counsel from someone who already is in conflict with the same person. So if there's three of you living together, one of your roommates is pretty hard to live with and both of you are annoyed, I would say the two of you probably should not talk about it. I had a rooming situation like that where me and my one roommate, uh, she actually had conflict with another one of our roommates and I was just trying to ask her about it because I could tell her, tell it was upsetting her. And she was like, Elizabeth, I cannot talk to you about it because I think it will change your view of her and I don't have enough control over my tongue right now. I was like, wow, I respect that. You're right. We all live together. I shouldn't be the person you're talking to about her. Um, so really, when you're thinking through uh, counsel, you can definitely ask people, but I think just be wise with who you ask. Um, and when you're planning your words, you want to use I statements. Uh, you want to say, I feel, I think, I perceive, because you are owning your side of things and you're presenting it to them, not in a blaming way of you made me feel, because they actually, it's not on them for how they made you feel. Like they aren't in control of your feelings, you are. But you could feel a certain way because of their actions. And so you want to be sharing that with them. And so just using I statements, I think, kind of opens up the conversation a little more and it's less accusatory. Like I did this because you made me feel this way. And um, we got to own our own side of things. And we want to say, sorry, um, your sin is first and foremost against God and you need to own it. I grew up in a home where we did not say sorry. And I will tell you in adulthood, that is probably one of the hardest things that I've had to learn how to do um, is it's just not natural for me to apologize and own things um, because I just thought, well, if we don't acknowledge it, then I don't really have to say sorry. Um, but that is just really humble. And when you have wronged someone, you want to own it um, and ask for their forgiveness. Um, and lastly, do it in person. I have had too many conversations with people where they're like, hey, we tried to resolve conflict. I'm like, oh, how'd you try to resolve it? Uh, Snapchat, FaceTime, texting. And I'm like, no, 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 in person. <laughs> you need to have these conversations in person um, and be sitting across the table from someone, being able to see how they're being affected and listen and um, just there are great things about technology, but I would not say it's the most helpful for conflict. <laughs> so avoid that. Um, and the last thing that we want to do um, is we are trying to honor God and people in conflict is we want to move towards others as Jesus did, right? Jesus moved towards people. Even just thinking about Saul and his conversion. I mean, he was like Talk about the person that everyone was probably like, there's no way that guy will ever get saved. Like, I mean, he's like killing Christians. Like, I mean, I bet people were just like astonished when God saved him. And I think just even all the people that Jesus meets in the gospel is he is never pulling away from the mess. 
He's never like, oh, they're too sick. They're too needy. They're too broken. That's actually who he says has faith and who will inherit his kingdom. And so we want to be like Jesus in that. We want to move towards people and we want to move towards the mess that often conflict brings. And we want to forgive Right, we want uh, to do what Ephesians 4 says, 4:31 and 32. It says, "Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice." So it says, "Put away those things." And then Paul says, "What we should put on is to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you." So like I said earlier, the only power you will have to forgive anyone is to look at how Christ has forgiven you. That is the only way you can forgive someone, um, especially for some just really hard and horrible things that have happened. Um, but God can do that as we look to him. Um, and just remember, you can't control someone's response, but you can control yours. So you can respond godly, even if they don't. And you are aiming to please God. You are not aiming to get them to apologize, to own their side of things, to understand you. God can do that 100%. And that's not bad to ask him for that. But at the end of the day, you want to please him and you can honor him in all that you say and you do without having the other person need to treat you a certain way. Through the power of the gospel, you can respond in his spirit um, in a loving way. Um, and so the last thing I just wanted to remind us of is that there is hope. So I'm sure this all sounds really nice. You're like, okay, yeah, if I have roommate issue with the dishes and, you know, something that's not that big of a deal, um, okay, I can handle this. But what about uh, my dad who left and who has not been in touch with our family. How do I forgive him? Or what about a situation of abuse? Or what about a friend who has betrayed me and gossiped and completely destroyed my reputation? What do I do with that? How do I enter into that conflict? Because not all conflict will have conversations. Not all conversations will result in reconciliation or apologies. Just this side of heaven, there is going to be a lot of brokenness. And I think honestly, a lot of still unanswered things that are not uh, finished and pretty. But I just want to remind you that there is hope, that no one is too far past God's work. So we can fight to believe that he can always redeem and restore because he is a God who brings beauty out of ashes. There will be some situations, like I said, that don't look pretty this side of heaven, but in heaven, there will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sadness. And God really will restore everything. Um, and so I just want to encourage you guys, um, as we are entering into conflict in our everyday lives, um, that God has first responded, uh, to conflict with us. Um, not, he doesn't have conflict with us. We created conflict with him. Um, but I was thinking about this, like, how does God respond to me in conflict? And it came up with a couple of these things I just want to send you out with. He set his love on me from the foundation of the world. And he says, nothing can separate me from it. When I chose to sin, instead of obey over and over and over again, he forgave me and he separated my sins as far as the East is from the West. He came towards me and he entered into my mess, just like he did with Mary when he wept with her over her brother's death, just like he did with the woman at the well when he entered into her shame, just like he did with the lepers and the blind and the lame when people moved away from them, he moved towards them. 
He is patient with me, promising to finish the good work that he started, changing me from one degree of glory to the next. He wants to be my refuge, my safe place, and a friend where I can pour out my heart and know that I will not be met with condemnation because he has grace upon grace for me. He is my wise counselor, offering a better way to deal with life's struggles. And he is still kind when I choose to distrust, manipulate his words, and completely disobey or mock them. He does not revile back to me when I reviled against him. And lastly, he has put his spirit in me and believers around me to gently restore me when I am caught in sin. So all of those things that God has done for us when our sin has created much conflict between us and him, we can now go and do with one another. Through the power of his spirit, we can respond in a way that brings him glory and that shows the world that God is changing people and that he is in the job of reconciliation and redemption. And that we get to be a witness as the church that while we have much conflict internally with ourselves and externally with each other, that we can deal with it differently. Not because we are any less sinful than them, but because we have hope and because we have been forgiven of much. And so I would just like for you guys to take the next 20 seconds. (laughs) I won't time it, but it'll be brief. And I just want you to take a minute and I want you to close your eyes. And for one second, then you'll get to go on a break. I want you to just sit for a second. And I want you to ask the spirit to bring to mind something from this session that he is asking you to think about more. Maybe there's someone that you need to forgive. Maybe there's bitterness you need to repent of. Maybe there's someone you need to say, I'm sorry to, or there's just a truth about God that you want to thank him for. I just want you guys to sit and think about that. And then I'll pray for you and you can leave in a minute. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you, God, that you are the God of all peace. That, God, you did not um, choose to yeah, pour out your wrath on us, but you chose to make a way, God, for us to be righteous before you. And, God, we thank you for Jesus and for the ways that he walked on this earth displaying um, a spirit of peace and gentleness and kindness God, that he entered into the mess and the conflict with people because he cared more about their holiness and them knowing him than he did about his own comfort. And so God, I pray that the people in this room for the rest of the years of their life will be people who bring peace in situations of conflict. God, will you make them not afraid of even the situations right now that you are asking them to step into? God, I pray that they will not fear because you are with them. I pray, God, that you will help them, Lord, um, to go and love on those um, who are caught in sin, those um, who have hurt them, those who they have hurt or they have sinned against. God, would they just be humble um, to your spirit? And God, we just pray um, that you will help us to go and be lights in this world, that as there is conflict everywhere, because we are sinners, God, we just pray that you um, will help us to point back to you and to honor you and to honor others in all that we say and do. I pray all this in your name.